I was telling my father-in-law, so honored that they are here. Love my in-laws, wonderful people, the Davies. Hallelujah. I was relating to him the story of our uh, meeting Brother Jonathan Shoemake, and we were at a conference in Tulsa, and my dad said, why don't you come home with us and preach for us? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, okay, I think I will. And he came, and the Holy Ghost used him in a mighty way. And there was a, a, a lady that had been backslid for many years, 20-plus years, that prayed back through to victory that morning. Hallelujah. Brother Shoemake has, a, has an anointed ministry, and... I tell you, we just connected with his preaching. And last year, if you were here, you remember what a great message we heard from the Lord. Brother Shoemake, we're honored to have you tonight. I want you to come. He's our friend, a great pastor, great church in San Jose, California. It's good to have your family here with us this year. I want you to come and obey the Holy Ghost. Let's receive Brother Shoemake tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday evening? Amen. How many are glad to know who Jesus is? Amen. And uh, I would like to say just a, a few uh, remarks um, before I go tonight. I would like to uh, also express how glad I am to have my family with me this year and uh, have them be a part of this camp meeting with us, but it's also um, a little bit of mixed emotions, and every every pastor understands the, your mind is also at home on what's going on there, but it's in capable hands, and so uh, I feel the liberty to just focus on this service tonight, and I want to say again, it is a distinct honor to fill this pulpit and to uh, preach the Word of God to all of you. I don't take it lightly. I appreciate everything that has already been preached so much last night, this morning, and then just a few moments ago, the powerful word of encouragement that has come into our lives. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in my life in the next few days through the preached word of God. And um, I want to say that my primary focus tonight is to somehow strengthen the hands of the body of Christ and so that when we leave this place, um, we are we are renewed and we are revived and we are in we are in in sync with what God wants to do in our day and time and uh, we're living in a day that is in need of apostolics who are committed to reaching their world while being what God has called them to be and uh, revival uh, and uh, and holiness are not mutually exclusive. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to let go of one to have the other. You can have both. And, and I believe you can do both in the right spirit. And so I prayed and sought God for this meeting and then uh, prayed yesterday. Uh, my family had gone out of the room and I spent some time in prayer and felt God speaking to me so specifically for this service. And uh, I, I saw 
I saw a family. I saw a man in prayer, and uh, and I I don't know if it represents an individual or it represents an office, but I, I saw a pastor, and I saw uh, I saw discouragement and fatigue on you, um, and I want to tell all of the ministry tonight, and I speak first off to the the pastors and evangelists and missionaries, and I want to tell all of you that uh, you may be. In a, in a rough place right now, but just hang on. God's coming for you. Amen. And uh, to all of the saints of God that are here tonight, I want to tell you that uh, God's coming to help you too. And God's going to help His church. He loves us. He gave Himself for us. So without further delay, I, I want to say tonight... Um, that I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture here. The story does absolutely take in uh, several, uh, almost 11 verses, but for the sake of time tonight, I, I will not uh, read it all. And uh, already I've been kind of given my uh, proverbial marching instructions by my kids that it would probably be a good idea if I kept it short. And um, so I will do my best to do that. I know we've already heard a very powerful word from the Lord. So I'm going to do my best to try to, to try to move it forward a little bit. And let's see what God will do here tonight in our midst. Um, the preached word of God is not a solo act. It is participatory, meaning that I can only preach... And, uh, and move in the anointing that you will grant me. God will anoint me to preach the word, but you have to anoint me to have the liberty to preach what he speaks to me. And there are, two, there are two anointings I teach our church at home. The first is upon my life as a minister of the gospel, upon our podium to preach the word of God. The second anointing comes from the congregation. When the congregation says, we want you to preach what saith the Lord. Amen. We'll take it. It doesn't matter if we like it or don't like it. We want the Word of God. How many of you want the Word of God in your life tonight? Amen. I believe it. Thank you, Brother Holmes, this church, Brother Nathan Holmes, for your hospitality. I'm continually overwhelmed by the excellence of everything they do here. And I think that it's already been said, but uh, we appreciate so much your hosting us in the way that you do it. God bless you. There's got to be a special reward in heaven for your love for the body of Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 18, reading verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Verse 11 said, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. I want to preach to you for just a little while from this thought, a promise worth fighting for. A promise worth fighting for. Would you pray with me one more time? We've prayed in here a lot. But let's ask God to move in a very special way in the next few minutes. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Move in this place according to your plan. Let your word and let your kingdom be exalted tonight, God. 
I pray that your word and your kingdom would be exalted in our lives, in this building, in every ministry, in every church, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated and thank you for standing. The book of Acts is uh, written to us and for us. It was written in approximately A.D. 62. We know the author of the book of Acts. It is Luke. But he writes and addresses this book to one known as Theophilus. It is translated a lover of God. Some would say that it could have possibly been a Gentile convert or on a broader scale it could have been the entire Gentile church. But it was, it was titled the Acts of the Apostles. This was given in the second century. But one of the many original titles for the book of Acts was the Acts of Two Apostolic Men. Or it was referred to as the Acts of Jesus' Continued Ministry. It was even referred to as the Acts of the Triumphant Faith. Uh, it was titled by some the Acts of the Scattered Church. Or it was referred to some as the Acts of the Holy Ghost. But whatever title you put on it, we've narrowed it down to simply Acts. It is the book of Acts. Our story and our text in chapter 18 takes place in a city that we know as Corinth. Corinth was very unique and very, uh, very distinct. It was a prominent city. It was a city of much wealth. It was the city that also was a part of a major trade route. There were international lines that crossed there. It was a place of international business. Not only was it known on the international level, but it was also a place of extreme idolatry. It was given over to the worship of the god Aphrodite. It was an immoral, central, perverted, some would say, city. Uh, it was a city that was given to pleasure, not only of the lust of the flesh, but also the pleasure of life. It was what was known as a sporting city. This is the city that Paul came into. This is the city where Paul gets a word from the Lord. It was the home to the second largest games following the Grecian Olympics. It was also known as the lookout or the eye or the guard of Greece. It was a very, very powerful city. But this is not the point of our story tonight. But it does bear mentioning because there is not one of us in this place tonight that does not live in an area with similarities and some things that are like Corinth. It was at Corinth that Paul gets the word from God. It's at Corinth where Paul is in a place where he has never been before. If you would allow me just a few moments, I'm going to focus not on the city. But I want you to notice the city so that you'll notice the behavior of Paul in the city. 
I want you to know that Paul was living in an immoral and very prosperous city. But I want you to notice what Paul did living in a very immoral and prosperous city. I could stop right there and preach to us tonight and remind us that no matter where we live, we better not take on the image of the world that we are called to reach. It's here that Paul gets a word from God. And it is here that our attention is directed to Paul's behavior in this godless atmosphere of idolatry, materialism, and pleasure. In fact, a more appropriate title for our text tonight would simply be The Actions of Paul in Adversity and Struggle. Let us consider for just a few moments some of the personal circumstances of Paul's life before we look at his culture and his response to its challenge. It is at Corinth that Paul finds himself at a place he has never been in his ministry in the last few years. He is now alone. He is now not only alone, but Paul is broke. He's not only alone and broke, but Paul is very fearful. He is now working as a tent maker again. It's here that Paul is finding himself, his back is against that proverbial wall. Things are not going the way that he planned on them going. This is not how he mapped out his life. He knows that there's going to be tough days, but he's found himself now here. So the question is asked, why? How did he get here? So let's review his four previous revivals. Let's go back and let's review his most decent or his most distant revival. It's Paul's revival at Philippi that he preaches and finds himself unjustly beaten and put in prison. And then he was supernaturally delivered by the Holy Ghost intervention in his life. He leaves that mountaintop and he goes to Thessalonica only to be opposed by powerful political forces to the point that he must leave for his own well-being. He leaves Thessalonica. He opens his Bible and sets up shop in Berea. He begins to preach and it's there that just when it seems as he's making progress in the city that he is again undermined by the same political forces as before with the same result. He must leave. He goes to Athens and it's there that he finds a people that are bound by idolatry. And so he goes to Mars Hill and he preaches a message that everybody quotes but nobody pays attention to the altar call. It's when Paul gets to the end and he begins to preach the resurrection of Jesus uh, that suddenly his message is mocked uh, and his laughter scorn and so Paul leaves Athens laughed at I want to stop for a moment and ask some of you would you have kept on teaching Sunday school if people started playing politics with you would you have kept on preaching preacher if you knew your life was in danger every time you opened your Bible? I know you can testify about God delivering you from prison, but he didn't give you a get-out-of-jail card. You may go back again. And I'm going to tell you something. Everybody wants to get delivered from the fiery furnace once. But nobody wants that to be your calling card in ministry. It's here that Paul, his back's against the wall. He's hurting. He's alone. 
He's broke. We look at this text and you start to see the humanity of a man. You start to see that, that invincibility that we all put around the Apostle Paul. We hear scriptures when he says things like, I don't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I come to you in demonstration and power. And now suddenly you find yourself seeing a man that he's quoted these things and said these things, but God's got to visit him at night and remind him, Paul, I want you to preach. I want you to preach because it's here that Paul goes and he starts to preach the gospel. I could read to you all the preceding verses of my text and we probably should refer to it. It's here that he comes and he finds a Jew named Aquila. He begins to show them things. It's here that he begins to make tents. He's discouraged. He reasons in the synagogue every Sabbath. And he persuades the Jews in the creek. And, and when, when they oppose themselves, Paul finally reaches a point where he shakes his clothes free from the dust of this burden. And he says, I'm done with you. From this point forward, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul reaches a breaking point. Paul reaches a point. He doesn't know where he's going. He just knows he's not going back there again. I'm preaching to people right now. It can get heavy on your shoulders. It can get heavy on your mind. It can even get heavy on your pocketbook. Paul preaches and not a lot of people like what he preaches. And so he finally leaves and goes and he, and he joins himself with the Gentiles. And, and it's here that God begins to move. But Paul is still, he's still shadowed by all of the preceding things and disappointments in his life. And it's here that God comes to him. And this is for the next few minutes what I want to preach about. I want to preach about a promise tonight. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. And he said, be not afraid. But speak and hold not thy peace. I could spend the rest of the night on that little point right there. But I just want to tell some of you, we need to take a little look at Paul's life. Things weren't going the way Paul wanted them to be. I, I've already painted that picture I think. They, they, he didn't feel the way he had felt previously. Paul wasn't on a mountaintop. He wasn't at camp meeting 2012. He wasn't hearing the choir sing and people worship. It wasn't easy to pray because he didn't have any support. It wasn't easy to preach because he didn't have a congregation. It was a hard time, a hard day. But I want to tell you something. When you find Paul, you don't find him sitting in a corner by the bed saying, I quit. You find Paul saying, hey, if I'm going to do something for God, I've got to get right out there and get back doing something that will make a difference. Hey, the first thing I want you to notice about Paul is he doesn't get mad. He doesn't start pouting. He doesn't start skipping church. He heads right back to the house of God. He gets right out there and he starts preaching. He starts evangelizing. Hey, Sunday school teacher. Hey, usher. Hey, preacher. Hey, evangelist. You may be down, but don't stop doing what God called you to do. I'm going to tell you, you've got to get right back out there. You've got to get right back out there. You've got to get right back out there. I don't own horses, but I've owned horses. And before I owned horses, I've ridden horses. 
And for some reason, horses and me, we don't agree. It all started when I was 13 in my uncle's ranch in Austin and I got on this beautiful black horse and, and was going to go take it for a ride. Sparky. You name your horse Sparky. You're trying to send a strong message. And I got on Sparky and he had a little trick. If, if you swung your foot up and you didn't get on Sparky fast enough, he was aiming for the nearest tree with the lowest branch because Sparky was trying to get you offy. And so, me and Sparky, we learned something. Let's just be friends. I look at you and you look at me, but I'm not riding you and you don't try to throw me. But I know a rule about horseback riding. If you're ever on a horse and that horse throws you, the rule is you get up and you get back on that horse. Because if you don't ride it then, you never will. Can I preach a little bit to some of you right now? You may be down, but you're not out. You gotta get up. You gotta go back to doing what God called you to do. You gotta go back to what God anointed you to do. Don't leave your anointing. Don't leave your calling. You got a promise in your future. I don't have time to preach about it. I could preach about evangelism the last, the rest of this message if I, if I was given the opportunity. But I want to tell you what kept Paul in the game was Paul kept his eye on the harvest. You can't get your eye on the people that are ugly to you. You can't get your eye on the people that talk about you. You can't get your eye on the people that backslide. You can't get your eye on the people on the back row. You can't get your eye on the people that are criticizing the pastor you can't get your eye on anything but what God called you to do lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white I said they're white they're all ready to harvest what we need is more harvesters what we need is more laborers Well, I don't want to pick a fight with some of you, but, but I don't know if you even believe in harvesting. Hey, I'm thankful somebody came for me. I was raised in church, and I still needed a laborer to come find me. I'm going to say it again. There ain't anybody here got here because we were smart enough to get here. We got here because somebody came for us. Somebody found us. They found us either in the church. Some of us were lost on the pew. Thank God for a harvester. Thank God for a white-haired prayer warrior. that come back to your pew and take you by the hand and wouldn't stop praying until you were back in the race. You got to get back in the race. Get back in the field. Get yourself up. Don't be discouraged. God's for you. Go do what he called you to do. He didn't allow himself to be distracted by his discouragement. I wish I had time to preach about distracted and discouraged.
You start waving hands right now, I can start asking questions. How many of you love Jesus? Everybody raise your hand. How many is going to give $100 in the offering tonight? A lot less hands. How many are feeling good? Everybody's hand goes up. How many are discouraged? Nobody? Nobody's discouraged. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands because I already know what I'm going to get. Everybody's doing just fine. Thank you very much. That's an awesome message. But I'm not quitting because I'm discouraged. But the problem is, you're quitting. You know, everybody faces it. Somebody ask, somebody ask if I'm discouraged. Yes. I'm discouraged. Because you know 50% of getting over your problem is admitting you've got one. Now, I feel 50% better right there. Because I've admitted, I'm, oh, I'm going to get down where we live right now. I've admitted everything isn't going the way that I thought God was going to take it. I'm going to admit that God hadn't answered all my prayers. I'm going to confess, he's God, and I'm not. I'm going to admit to you tonight that I'm not a perfect pastor, that I've made mistakes, and people have left my church, not because they didn't believe the message, because I was an ignorant pastor. Is that too transparent for you? I'm going to admit something else. Some people have left my church because of people on my pews. I'm going to tell you I'm not a perfect pastor. Are you ready? I'm not even a perfect husband. I know that may shock some of you ladies. But just give your husband a break now. His hero has gone down. I'm being as sarcastic as I can right now. I'm not a, I mean, here's another one. We're going to have confession. It's good for the soul. I'm not a perfect father. You want to know something? Nobody had to tell me that, but every once in a while I get some people that remind me of it. <laughs> Nobody had to tell me that. I know it. But let me tell you something else. So does the adversary. And he knows how to get in your back pocket. And when our hands should be going up, our heads are going down. Because nobody in here has got it together. And all the honest people are clapping. I'm not justifying sin. I'm not saying it's okay to be a hypocrite. 
I'm talking about people that get up and go to church every time the church is open. I'm talking about people that love God, love truth, read the Bible, worship, believe this. But I'm talking about just being real. It doesn't always go the way we want it to. But that doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about them. You got to just get out there and do what he called you to do. It's better to give than to receive. You know what Paul did? He got right out there and started evangelizing. You know the second thing he did? He got right out there and he started discipling. I got a little saying in my church. I got some saints here from, from a few years ago. They moved on and they're working in a church and, and helping to start a church in Ohio, the Evans. And, and then I've got the Hoyle sitting right back over here. And they'll know this because they've heard me preach at home enough times. You know the best way to get over discouragement. You know the best way to get over your issues. You know the best way to get over all of your little idiosyncrasies is get out there and teach a Bible study. Just get out there and try to win a soul. Just get out there and get your mind off your problems. And get your life involved with somebody that's really got some issues. And help get them up. And by picking them up, you're picking yourself up. And God always establishes the hand that reaches down. He'll establish you if you'll reach down. I got a little testimony. You can be seated. I, I'm not going to be a whole lot longer, I don't think. But I, first time I had an opportunity to get involved with pastoral ministry, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm going to be honest with you now. I still don't know what I'm doing. Don't tell anybody. But I, I, was, I was there. I'm single. Okay? Single people know all, they know all the answers, right? So I got this new convert couple in my church. So if they'd have been established, they'd have had the sense not to do this. But they said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. We're having marital problems. Oh, okay. That's what pastors do. Okay, come, come talk to me, I guess. I'm not married. <laughs> so I sit there, and they start talking. She's a little bit smaller than me, and he was a lot smaller than her. <laughs> and so they're sitting there on my couch in my apartment, on the opposite ends, and I'm sitting there in my chair. Okay. What's the problem? She goes, well, and just and he sits there. It's his turn. He turns and he goes, well. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. Now, I don't always ask those open-end questions. I'm very, I'm very specific about our marital problems. Just, okay, does it involve one of three things? All right, yes or no, those are all you're saying. And uh, they, I, they went on, and then, and then she got in her say, and he got in his say, so I felt like, well, it works in America judicial system, so I'm going to give her a chance to rebut. And then, and this went on. I finally put a glance over the clock, and it was going on about an hour and a half. And I felt even more stupid than when I started. And they were about to get a divorce. And finally I said, hey, 
You know what y'all need to do? This is in Folsom, Brother Wilson. That'll tell you right there. I said, you know what y'all need to do? I said, y'all need to go get a Bible study. <laughs> y'all need to get a Bible study because you need to get involved in somebody. I didn't know if it was working. I didn't, it was just like, I got to get this conversation shut down so I can get you out of my house because I ain't saving your marriage. But I got to get you out of here before it falls apart. I said, y'all need to get a Bible study. You need to get a Bible study. They looked at me like, what tree did you fall out of? And I just, it seemed like a right thing. And after I said it, it, it sounded good. So I said it again. You need to get a Bible study. You need to get your mind off your problems. I mean, forget the fact you're going to have to go home to each other at the end of the day. Just get a Bible study and get your mind off your problems. You know what? They left there. I'm going to tell you, they didn't end up staying together. He backslid. They got a divorce. You know what she did? She went and got a Bible study and she won her neighbor to the Lord. I'm not condoning any of them. I'm just telling you sometimes uh, you've sat around and inspected your issues long enough. Uh, you know it one side uh, and up and down the other. You just got to get back in the race. Uh, you got to get back to doing what God called you to do. Just do something. got to get involved. Paul started discipling people. He got right back in the synagogue. He got in there and he said, I'm going to do it by any means, whatever it takes. It was a passion that spoke through action. Quit telling me what your problems are. Start showing me what your solutions are. I want to know, do you have the ability to get up and go forward without any support? You've got to do it. I said you just have to do it. If you don't, you'll backslide. If you don't, you'll miss out on heaven. You just got to get out there and go to work and do something for God. He did it by any means. He said whatever must be done, I'll do it. If I've got to make tents, I'll make tents. If I've got to preach this alone, I'll preach this alone. But I'm going to keep going forward because backing up is not an option. It was continuous effort. He never gave up. In fact, it was in verse 5, the Bible said he was pressed in the spirit. It was first manifested in him in his first epistle to the Thessalonian church. The Bible said he was pressed in the spirit. In Galatians, he wrote, until Christ be formed in you, I travail. He said, I'm in this thing. My spirit's speaking. My spirit is burdened. And I'm not going to stop until the job is done. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to keep on reaching hey i can't get off of that tonight if you want to get over your issue get out of your hole and get out into the harvest field keep on reaching here is the caveat to all of this paul didn't do all that because god had already spoke to him Paul didn't do that because he had a promise. Paul did that because that was what God called him to do. One time I got in a real low place in my life and I didn't know 
which way to go. And uh, I, I, I even, one day I was riding with my dad in the car and we were talking. He was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I said, Dad, I don't, I don't even know if I'm called in the ministry anymore. I, I hadn't felt God. I heard God for eight months. Just my life was just at a standstill. I had an awesome job carrying hot for block layers. Thank you very much. That'll make you want to go to China. I was a missionary. But I was talking to him. I said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm still called to preach. And my dad looked at me and said, son, he said, God never changes his mind. You're still called. If he called you once, you're still called. I'm going to tell some of you, God hadn't changed your mind. Some people in my church come to me sometimes and pastor, I don't know what to do. This going on, that going on, this, I don't know. And I, I'm praying, I don't hear anything. And I say, okay, stop, stop, time out. Stop. Go back. What was the last thing God told you to do? Well, he told me to go teach a Sunday school class. And my next question is, are you still doing it? Because until God gives you new orders, don't try to change the last ones. You just keep on doing what God called you to do. Paul wasn't doing what he was doing because he had a word, fresh word from God. He was doing what he was doing because it was the last thing God called him to do. He said, go to Corinth. I want you to go preach in Corinth. He didn't have a second word. He had to go do this in the middle of discouragement, in the middle of his issues. But it was at this point in his life that God spoke to Paul. Listen, if anybody's ever deserved a word from God, Paul did. I'm going to be honest with you. I probably don't deserve one. God doesn't owe me a word from the Lord. He, he, he doesn't need to come down and say, let's say God put on a white shirt and a red striped tie and go preach the gospel tonight. He didn't owe me that. But if anybody get it, did, needed it and anybody deserved it, Paul did. He had already been through enough. Let me tell you something. I hadn't been through enough in 20 plus years of ministry that Paul went through in just a, a short period of his life. If anybody deserved a word from God, it was Paul. But he didn't get it till he went and did what he knew to do. And when he did what God told him to do originally, is when God spoke to him afresh and said, Hey, Paul, I see where your heart is. And this is what I want to close with. I want to preach to some of you right now. Quit being afraid of your adversary. He said, Paul, I want, you to, I want you to not be afraid. You've already been beaten. You've had to run from your life for two revivals. You've had your message laughed out. But I want you to preach. Don't hold your peace. Listen, the contrast between this and where Paul and I had quoted it, where Paul got up and said, I don't come to you in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power. Listen, the contrast between the words of enticing words and that whole, that whole context and what it means, it means eloquent thoughts put together. But this word, when he said, Paul, I want you to speak, the word comes from the Greek word that literally means say something as opposed to being silent. for a pretty message just 
Here's the difference between the whole scriptural setting and the word breakage. You break it down, the syntax, all of it. You break it down where he said, I'm, I'm coming to you not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He was saying, I've got a full message. I've got a good message. It's got an opening. It's got a body. It's got a conclusion. It's got everything in it. But I'm also counting on the power of God to work through a very well laid out thought. But this place is not anything like that. It's not you've got a good message prepared. It's not you've got a great word. It is simply your back is against the wall. I don't need a pretty message. I just need my preacher to open his mouth and make some noise so I can move. Paul, speak. Open your mouth. Fear not. Hey. I was going to save this for last, but I say this all the time at home to my church. You ready? The devil doesn't make the rules. You ready? Listen. The devil doesn't make the rules. He plays by the rules. See, some of you didn't even get that right there. It's whatever God tells him he can do, he can do. He can't do anything till God says go. Evidently Paul needed a little fear. Evidently Paul needed a little prison. Evidently Paul needed a little scorning. But there comes a point in time where God puts his foot down and says no more. Preach. Nobody's going to touch you. Nobody's going to hurt you. I want to tell the apostolic church, quit being afraid, preach! Listen, musicians are coming. He said, you preach, Paul. You preach. Don't you be afraid. The rules have changed. Nobody's going to touch you this time. I changed them. In fact, let me tell you why. There comes a point in time where I say, hey, this is all about me. This isn't about you, devil. Go home. This is about me. This is about my people. And this is about my purpose. This is a city that needs salvation. You've had your way. They worship dead gods. They serve the flesh. They're bound up. You gave them all the money they can spend. But your party is over. It's time for a revival. Hey devil, I want to tell you something. Your party is over. It's the apostolic church's day. I like this part. We all read this scripture. He said, for I have much people in this city. We all read that. I, I was, this, this goes back a little bit. Forgive me again for the personal reference. Uh, my wife and I felt to go start a church in a city. And we, we went down there to look around. I was praying one day. And God spoke that phrase to me in prayer. said, for I have much people in the city. So I started trying to figure out, what does that mean? 
because I didn't know if there were like saints sitting around with their Bible and the church clothes on waiting for me to come to town and put up a sign. And they could all say, oh, we can go to church now. He's here. What, what do you mean? So I got to looking at it. He said, for I have much people in this city, Paul. For me. Listen, there are already people in this city. I already possess them. I've already been here before you got here. I was already in that neighborhood before you ever walked down that street. I was already in that house before you knocked on their door. I was already having conversations with that person before you ever invited them to your Bible study. I've already been working in this city, Paul. This is my city. I possess people in this city already. Much people. Those people I'm already convicting. Those people I'm already stirring. Those people I'm already working. Those people that are already praying, God, I want to get my life right. Those people that are already saying, I'm tired of living this way. Those people that are already saying, I'm done living like that. Those people that are already saying, no, I'm not going out this weekend. I'm done with hangovers. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going back to that. There's already people sitting on their beds saying, if somebody would just tell me which way to go. Last night my wife sat up here with a precious Taiwanese lady, which just coincidentally, Brother Nathan Holmes had, had, had been talking about online the other day on Twitter, how he baptized his first Taiwanese couple in the church here. My wife was talking to her and got to talking about her testimony. She lived in Pasadena, relocated to Conway, and she said she got to looking for a church. She had just become a Christian out there. She got to looking for a church, and she said, I want to go to a church that has prayer 24 hours a day. So she drove, if I got it right, she drove around her city. She couldn't find a church that had prayer 24 hours a day. And she drove by this church and she thought it was Sunday what? But when she came in here, she found out this church is open 24 hours a day. Hey, I've got a lot of people in this city. Come on, North Little Rock. I want to light your fire. If I don't get anybody else stirred up, I want to tell you, ever saying to God I don't care where you're from I'm from California it doesn't matter God's got a plan for my city God's got a plan for your city God's got a plan for revival God's got a plan for the harvest he just needs some laborers that are gonna work in the midday sun I said I got a plan I got a plan. I want to establish some facts in closing right now. Number one, everybody say number one. 
The devil doesn't make the rules. God does. Number two, the devil doesn't control your harvest. God does. Hey, let's back up a minute. Let's back up because I think some of you missed this. I'm going to get your theology all straightened out here, okay? You're all twisted. Rule number one, the devil doesn't make them. You understand? The devil doesn't make the rules for your city, your life, your revival. God does. Number two, the devil cannot affect God's plan in your city. He cannot stop it unless you stop. He cannot prevent it unless you quit. And here's the third thing. The devil doesn't have the power to prevent me from doing God's will. He can only resist my efforts. Refer to rule number one. You know what we need to do? I like that word preach or speak. It just means make some noise. Just make some noise. I want every saint of God that you believe you got a promise in your life. I want you to stand to your feet right now all over this building. There's a lot of you already standing, but some of you may not be standing. Stand to your feet. you got a promise. It doesn't matter if it's a promise God's going to save some of your family. It doesn't matter if it's a promise that God's going to do something in your life. It doesn't matter. If you've got a promise, I want you to get on your feet. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things for me. Number one, I want you to ignore whoever is around you right now. They have nothing to do with what you're about to begin. This is between you and God. you got a promise, and he's the God of the promises. He's made a promise to his people that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. He's made a promise to us that in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Come on now apostolic church. We got a promise but he needs a preacher. He needs a speaker. I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to tilt back your head. I want you to shout. Church needs to lift up its voice. And what you're doing 
is you're just making some noise so your God can move. I want you to lift up your head. Lift up your voice. Leap for joy.